welcome to another edition of Parkour Ed. My name is Colin Daly, and I'm here today with Juliet Kudlikowski. Did I pronounce that correctly, Juliet? Almost. Almost. How do we how do we say it? Where you come from? Uh, you would say Kudlikowski. So Kudlikowski. Kudlikowski. All right, great. Well, we're here today with Juliet, and she's going to share some things about her experience with us on Parkour Ed. Parkour Ed is the podcast that we have created for teachers to talk to each other here at the Lycée Français de Singapour in English, no less. Um, sometimes it seems that uh, the only thing we all have in common at this school is our employer. Uh, but after some discussions, we usually find common ground and uh, learn a lot about each other. So we're glad you could be here with us today. And we're glad that you out there in radio podcast land are listening. So why don't we just um, jump in and get started talking about Juliet? is the elementary director at the primary school from CP through, through CE2. She says she came to this job by chance and loved it from the very first minute. So I can't wait to hear a little bit more about that. Born in France, worked as a primary school teacher in China, uh, where she started, and in Morocco and Lebanon. And then a counselor to the Ministry of Education in Beirut. That sounds exciting. Discovered teaching and heading schools in France for the first time in 2010 then head of the primary school in Dubai and Singapore. So we have a lot to talk to uh, Juliet about today. So did I miss anything? Did I get any misinformation in there? So far, so good. So far, so good. Well, you say that you came to this job by chance. How did that happen? Um, do I really have to say the truth? No, no. You, there's, <laughs> there's, you can keep your secrets if you want to. There's no, no it's pressure. It's fine. I was um, applying to several jobs, and actually I chose to pass the concours because it was the only one I could uh, take with my pregnancy dates. Oh. And so I took it and passed it, and then I loved the, my job for the very first time. All right. First minute, sorry. So that's why you would say that destiny is a real thing. Destiny is a real thing. You know, I've talked to several teachers, uh, both on the podcast and outside of the podcast, that, that took the concours um, for various different circumstances, not because it was something they planned to do from the time they were a little boy mm -hmm. or a little girl, but just came about and uh, changed their lives and they're happy for it. You know, the concours, you're probably aware, is something to, to me, an American, and a lot of my colleagues here at the French School, which is, which is a very French thing. Can you, do you, do you know what, what the origin of a concours is? And I don't even know what the word for it is in, in English. I, uh, unlimited. I do not think there is a word. I don't think there is a word, but it's, it's a word. It's neither when, a diploma nor an exam nor. Uh, no, it's kind of like we're going to give everybody a test and we're going to take the top 15 yes, people because we only it. need 15 people. That's so, it. So, you know, that's that's an interesting concept, and I think it it it, uh, it is a way that the French government ends up getting the teachers that uh, are competitive, mm -hmm. at least scholarly, um, academically, for Directly. taking tests in the beginning. And so your first posting, the first time you taught in primary school, is it China, is that? Yes, it was in China, in what we call a école d'entreprise. Okay. I didn't... Is that, is, that, is that like Mission Laïque? Is that? It was for the Mission Laïque. Okay. Um, used to teach in a school that was on a nuclear power plant site. So we were teaching the, uh, the kids of the French engineers in southern China. Wow. It was in a small, well, small for China, a small village of um, 3,000 people. Oh, that is small by any standard, yeah. <laughs> between Shenzhen and Hong Kong. And between Shenzhen and Hong Kong, so not far from not Hong far Kong. You well, could still get far. back to civilization. Yes, we could still get back to Hong Kong in about three, uh, three hours and a half bus okay. rides. 
Uh, but and it was in 1999, so it was mainland China. That's an exciting, ago, exciting almost. time to be in mainland China. There were a lot there of changes going nice. on. That was just two years after Hong Kong went back to um, Chinese, Chinese yes. full, full control mm -hmm. by the Chinese. So that must have been, you must have seen a lot of things. It was very nice. Very yes. nice, yeah. And I learned a bit of Chinese back then. Yeah, which have, I still have you kept have. it up? A small amount. Yeah, it's hard here in it's Singapore. Hard. Even yes. the, the Chinese speakers speak English. And, well, I yeah. think that if you want, you can, but yeah. you need to take the time to. Yeah, do I've it. been taking some courses here at the school. It's been mm -hmm. been helpful. It's fun. I, I myself lived in the Republic of China. That's oh. the first French school I taught at was in Taiwan. You went to um, Morocco and Lebanon. Yes. Then right? we moved to Morocco because uh, that's a big change. That's you know. Well, the father of my children he used to live in Morocco when he was a kid. So oh, okay. yeah, it was his dream to get back there. So mm -hmm. we moved to Fez and Meknes, where we stayed four years, and then to Beirut in two thousand five. Yeah. Where I stayed five years, three years as a teacher in the Grand Lycée Franco-Libanais, so it's okay. a French school in the Christian part of Beirut. Uh -huh. And then I moved to, um, as a counselor to the Ministry of Education in Beirut, but I had my office in the French Embassy because of um, security and safety reasons. Secure Otherwise, okay. I would have had my office in the Hezbollah part, and we were not supposed to be there. Oh, I see. But it was a very, very nice job because I was uh, working for the f Lebanese Ministry of Education and implementing the French cultural and educational policy so I was heading, I was, sorry, visiting public schools in mm -hmm. Lebanon, yeah. private schools. Right. So I worked with, well, the public sector and with uh, schools headed by the Hezbollah or by the Christian church or by the Maronit church or really, really lots of different people. Now and that was very enriching. The Lebanese national curriculum is bilingual. Oh, I so see. it's either English. Arabic and French or English and Arabic. It must have been a difficult place to leave. Oh, uh, I no. mean, while you were, you were living there, it was nice. But were you happy to leave or was, was, was it kind of When I was living there, it was, was nice. I had my first experience of ta riding a helicopter during the, the war in 2006 because oh, uh, yeah. well, I just had a baby who was two, two days Old. Two and days we had old, to, and you had to evacuate. To leave. Yes. Oh, I see. But I went back very quickly because uh, I love Lebanon. Yeah. Did you evacuate on the Jeanne d'Arc? On the I no, remember no, no, at no, the no. time there was the Jeanne d'Arc. There was the, the Mistral and the Jeanne d'Arc, but because I was pregnant, I had to wait to give birth to be evacuated, and uh, they thought that maybe a two days crossing, well, traversé, right, right, sorry, right. No, was too long for a two days old baby. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so you flew all the way back to France in a helicopter? We flew in an helicopter to Cyprus and then on a plane to France. Okay. While the um, eldest one, who yeah. were eight and four, had taken the bus from Beirut to Istanbul. That was a two days ride for them. I've talked to several people now about their parcours, you know, how did mm -hmm. they get to this place? and. So far, uh, you've got one of the most exciting <laughs> stories I've heard. Um, and yes, to answer to your first question, no. I decided to go back to France to give some backgrounds to the kids. Yeah. Because one was born in um, Morocco, the other one in Beirut, mm -hmm. and the first one was born in France, but we left when he was um, a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And because of all the um, the bombings, all the, the attacks, the, the attacks, yes, attacks, they would yeah. they would be able they were able to differentiate between if it was like killing someone or if it was a war. And when they would hear a bombing and they would say, yes, tomorrow there's no school because it's going to be a, 
oh, of yeah. national morning day. I said, okay, let's go back to real life. Right, let's get back right. to some sensible. That's, that's interesting thought. I mean, I, I grew up rules. in a place when it when it started snowing heavily in the afternoon. We were always hoping for a snow day the next day, but we weren't ever hoping for a, an attentat day. Or no, they were not day. hoping no, for I that, know, but they would recognize. I, I so, see yeah. what you mean. I definitely see what you mean. So how so long did you stay in France after that? Just then? three years. Just three years, okay. Because I moved from Beirut to a very small place where we were only 35 inhabitants oh, in the mountains in, of Auvergne. And after having dealt with uh, three weeks long of minus 21 degrees, I said, okay, let's get back to something else. <laughs> 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 because first, when you remove your clothes frozen from yes. the dish, not, not the dish, from, from the washing machine, right. you laugh. But when it's every day, you just get oh, nuts. But that was very, very good experience. You were in a place where there were 35 people. Mm -hmm. you, I assume you were teaching. You were working I was teaching and heading school. And they had a school in a village. That no, had there was people? there was a school that in a small village that was twenty minutes. Okay, drive. And, and and so one thing that's always impressed me about France is that even in some of the smallest, most remote areas, there's still mm. a local school. You, they're not really. It seems to me the type of people who want to put their kid on a school bus and let them ride on a bus for an hour and a half to get to some mega school that fifty different villages send their kids to. So. But that makes for people who have taught in small structures mm -hmm. as well. When you were a, uh, a director in France, mm -hmm. was the school big or was it? Uh, the first one was um, just 100 kids, mm -hmm. four classes. And the second one was 250 kids with uh, 12 classes. And so were you teaching as well or were you? Teaching and And so heading. doing both. From there you come to Singapore. No, Dubai first. Oh, Dubai, okay. The school I was heading was from... Um, I was heading the part from PS to PS to CM2, and uh -huh. I was the head of 55 classes. 55 classes. Mm -hmm. Compared to how many here in Singapore? There's from uh, 33. 33. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's so you were well prepared for this type of structure. By the time you got yes. here, you'd already and I gone thought through I all the work. challenges. I thought I would work less, <laughs> but we do work quite a lot. Yeah. The Lycée Français de Singapore, un projet par jour, is not a myth. No, no, nope. no, that's, <laughs> it's that's very, true. It's very enjoyable and very rewarding. So this is your second, how many years have you been here? Second now? year. This is your second year. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've been here longer than that already for us because you're well known. Oh, I mean, you, thank that's you. A, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not an insult, that's a compliment. You know, thank you, you. You seem to have settled in very nicely and we have, uh, uh, we have grown so much over the past, you know, few years. So. It's just it's amazing. I was really glad that you agreed to come on and talk with us because I know that um, you have some experience in my neck of the woods in the United States. <laughs> One of the reasons why you speak English so well, I'm sure, is because you've actually been to the state of Minnesota before. Yes. As you might know, uh, until about three years ago, Minnesota was considered pretty much a gastronomical wasteland. <laughs> and uh, in the last few years, Minneapolis has really gone through a culinary renaissance, and uh, it just makes my mouth water to introduce our next guest. He is the proprietor of a new French restaurant in Minneapolis called the Eiffel Tower. Uh, please welcome Pierre Lefranc. Pierre, welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> now, uh, when I stuck my head in the... Uh, in the makeup room, I noticed that you didn't have a, a French accent. No. <laughs> no, I, I'm not uh, French. I see. Is uh, Pierre Lefranc then, is that your real name? Well, I, uh, 
I had my name changed. Uh, my original name was Bob Johnson, but uh, I didn't feel that the proprietor of a fancy French restaurant, I didn't think that was the right kind of name, so when I opened up the Eiffel Tower, I had my name changed to Pierre Lefranc. Well, Pierre, uh, what gave you the idea to open up a elegant, fancy French restaurant in Minneapolis? Well, uh, about three years ago, I took a business trip to Houston, and uh, <laughs> an associate of mine took me to this restaurant. Uh, it was called A Bientôt de Soie. I said, now, what, is, what does that mean now? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it opened my eyes to the fantastic world of uh, French cuisine, and uh, I've just had the dream up until now of introducing great French cuisine to the Minneapolis area. Okay, now what, what culinary delights are on, on your menu at the Eiffel Tower? Well, I brought, uh, I brought the menu for the Eiffel Tower along with me here. And uh, incidentally, if you visit uh, the Eiffel Tower, you can take the menu home with you. Uh, as a souvenir, if you like. It's... Is that a picture of, uh, is that you? Oh, no, that's, uh, that's my brother, Michael, uh, Jacques. Uh, he's the, uh, he's the chef. He does a now, <clears throat> menu, job. Men menu is a French word, isn't it? Yes. Menu is a French word, yes. Uh, what does that mean, literally translated? Uh, list of food. <laughs> now, it's a bit, it's, a. Uh, Big menu there. I notice you don't have uh, really a lot on it. Well, we figured you'd do a few things really well. Uh -huh. And uh, you see, the first thing we got here is the soup du jour. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's different every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's a French onion soup today. Now, what's this? The uh, poisson. Pous yeah. uh, poisson is a fish. And uh, we have the uh, uh, filet of sole amadine. It's a little filet about this big. And it's nice and light. It's not at all fishy. And uh, as little slivered almonds on the top, a little parsley. And uh, it's nice and light, very popular. Now, is that fresh? Is that a... Oh, yes, yeah, flown in fresh from Chicago every day. <laughs> and uh, is, that, is, that, is that served a la carte? Oh, I see you know some French. <laughs> uh, no, all of our entrees uh, come with uh, four string beans, and then we have... Uh, fresh mashed potatoes, which we squeeze out through this tube thing, so it comes out kind of curly-cued. Uh, it looks like a Dairy Queen kind of thing. Carvel. Carvel. Soft ice cream, frozen yeah. custard. Yeah, right. Of. Well, we stick that under the broiler for a minute, and it comes out kind of browned, toasted on the outside. So it's not only a treat for the palate, but for the eye as well. And for the nose. Uh, now, I imagine you have quite a wine list uh, at the Eiffel Tower. Wine list? Well, you know, a menu of the wines. Well, we have, uh, we have wine. Uh, we have what looks like two barrels sticking out of the wall with spigots on them. And uh, one is white and one is red. And if you're having the uh, poisson, we recommend you get the white. Uh -huh. And if you're having, oh, say, the uh, roast beef au jus, uh, we recommend you get the red with that. Well, I'm sure, Pierre, after this uh, airs in Minneapolis tonight, that uh, there'll be a rush on the Eiffel Tower and uh, people experiencing the, the sights, the sounds, the smells of the Eiffel Tower. Right. <laughs> One more thing, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Okay, well, thank you. Bob. Uh, thank you.
All right, that was Franken and Davis from the early 1980s on the David Letterman show. Uh, that was kind of an illustration of what your average Minnesotan knows about France, or at least back in the 80s. I think we've gotten a little bit better. But you've seen it from your own, from, from your own uh, point of view. What brought you to Minnesota? Oh, well, back in those old, rusty days, yes. you wouldn't get any friends over the internet, so I applied to get a pen friend, and she was living in Minneapolis. So really? So when I was 14, I decided to go and spend a summer with her. Mm -hmm. I guess at that time, my parents were more open than I would be for my own kids, because <laughs> flying me to the States alone at 14 years of age. and Right, right. And uh, then I went back when I was 16. Uh -huh. And I'm still in touch with her. Well, they probably knew Minnesota was a pretty safe place at the time. Yes, at least well, they would have assumed, at least. <laughs> probably. Well, in the bus, when I was um, changing airports in uh, New York, I met someone who said, where, where are you going to? And I said, to Minnesota. And he said, what for? <laughs> <laughs> we like it that way. <laughs> it so. keeps the riffraff out. You really have to want to go there. It's beautiful. We do tend to gravitate towards things we're familiar with, or, mm -hmm. and, and it, we, we make connections with people when they have common experiences with us, especially when they're strangers being in Minnesota. So <laughs> that's one of the reasons I brought it up. I learned when I was talking with you earlier this year is that you you were part of a part of the you're, you're part of the administrative team for the whole school, mm -hmm. and there are many of you, many administrators, because it's a huge school. And you all had different roles, and one of the roles you were working on at the time was, was, was technology, but uh, that's also the purview of many different people. Emmanuel Bernet works on technology, yes, yes. and we've talked to, with him about that. And, uh, you know, I, I use technology in the classroom, but uh, I'm curious when I talk to people what they see the future of technology uh, in education is, what the future of teaching looks like. We use computers and iPads sometimes to learn and write on words and PowerPoints. So we sometimes use computers in classroom to do some research about uh, various subjects. Uh, computers, we use uh, projectors, interactive boards. Well, at school there's like the computers with the, like they have PowerPoints to teach us. And we have computers at home to do our research and presentations. We also have um, applications, for example, in math, LaboMep, where we have exercises that uh, help us uh, review things that we've already seen. My phone or my computer. What do you use your phone for, for learning? Uh, searching things that I need to know or, yeah, doing math. I we do. PowerPoint, slides, everything. It's great. LaboMap, an application where we do math exercises. And Pronote, it's the thing that we use to keep track of our grades and our uh, homework and everything. In Mandarin, we often use the iPad Air 2, and we use this app called Quizlet, where um, we're given these flashcards with different characters on them, and we need to answer with uh, which character it is, what it means. Uh, there's also images that pop up and we have to say uh, what this image is in Chinese. It helps a lot. Uh, we often also use computers in most of our classes, so either our own, either the ones that the school provide us with. Computers, we have access to Drive where most of our documents are found, so it allows us to have a better organization overall. So the use of technology in school, in class, you, you hear these students talk about what they use technology for and a lot of things come up over and over again, the different applications. Um, and I, 
I admit I like using technology in the classroom, but I still think that the teacher is the most important tool in the classroom. But what do you think about technology? We, we're working at different levels. You work CP, for, which is grade one, mm -hmm. grade two, grade three. I do think that technology helps providing a tailor-made educational um, product to the, to the kids because you can design, uh, you can use apps or design some uh, pathways to be able to focus on some things that the kids need to be to work upon or you can have them work in workshop and you give them a task, a complex task to work upon and they can use the computers or the apps or the iPads that we have. We do have quite a lot of iPads in the primary schools oh, okay, yeah. and the teachers tend to use them quite a lot. Either so to sorry to um, to record what the kids are saying when they are explaining or presenting, and then they can rework upon what they've been saying and see well you can improve this or you could improve that or that is so wonderful and then but maybe this could be worked upon as well, or um, where even for the great one, they do like a portrait of themselves. And then they uh, record their own voice, and then the teacher produce, or even with the kid, produces a QR code, and it's put upon the drawing. So the parents with their iPads or with their iPhones, or even anyone coming and walking around the corridors can just, um, well, scan the, the QR code and listen to the to the kids speaking. What a so great it's very idea! Good. And in grade three, you have journaux um, télévisés. Um, we have. Uh, yeah, well, news, actual news TV. Broadcast? News podcast, but TV, yes, right. news bro broadcast. TV broadcast. TV broadcast. Amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun for and the kids. I'm sure they love it. And, well, they learn a lot. And uh, the presentation skills and mm -hmm. speaking. Presentation, speaking, writing, and even filming, editing. And then being able to share that with, with families yes, is probably pretty good, too. It opens the school a little bit more to families, so they, they get a, gr a glimpse of what's going on in the class. It's true, a lot of our uh, the parents work long hours, just mm -hmm. like we do, but they work long hours and have to travel a lot, so it's a way for them to still stay in contact. Uh, that's good. I love what you when you said tailor-made for each kid, you know, the really, uh, that's, I agree with you completely. I think that's a, a way that we can make, um, we can make uh, individualized uh, lessons for kids at their own level, so they can always feel challenged, but not overwhelmed. And they can catch up if they're behind without being embarrassed. Uh, That's true. And especially with apps that keep the data, then you know what can be developed or what should be enhanced. Right. So. Right. So it that's, engages the kids. It does, and it's, it's a new type of organization as well. Mm -hmm. um, when you're organizing these types of activities, you mentioned uh, workstations. Mm -hmm. uh, is that Tudier, right? The, yep, this is an it. idea that uh, that's been been brought to our school, and it's it's not mm -hmm. a new idea. It's been done in in maternelle since mm -hmm. the dawn of maternelle, right? But uh, but I remember having a, a training session with Emmanuel Bernet yeah, several years ago when he came, and we were we were making digital workstations and not just digital either but you know mixing them if you have five groups in a classroom and you can yeah, have some with iPads digital yeah, it's they could be they could be but not only rotating though so rotating kids can do different and things cooperative. and cooperative oh that's a good keyword too um, because uh, our, our job is changing I think I mean in many ways it's communication mm -hmm. we, we do a lot more communicating uh, with parents directly than, than, than when I first started teaching. 
which was not that long ago, but uh, <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to keep going. So, But, yeah, to emphasize on what you just said, the world is changing, and yeah. the kids that we are teaching to, well, they have an iPad or an iPhone. They are used to technology. So if you, we don't want to be living in the age of dinosaurs. We need to adapt I and agree, to provide yeah. them as well with uh, tools to live in that world. So that's why not only using the apps or the computers, but also educating them to the rights and wrongs to what they can do and what they cannot do right. when they use uh, social media or where they, when they post any picture to I prevent them from the dangers because they do exist of it's uh, true. digital life as well. And, and, and avoiding the use of these because of the pot potential dangers is ignoring the need yep. for the kids to learn how to na navigate them. Uh, but at the same time, I really respect the, what I see here at LFS because um, we're, th there's always a lot of progress. We're always moving towards uh, um, technological mm -hmm. advancement and get it using technology for learning. But at the same time, we didn't just jump in with both feet like a lot of schools did right off the bat saying, we're going to buy the best equipment, we're going to get a, a computer in every kid's hand from the time they're you know, in kindergarten. And, and then just sort out the problems later. The, the tradition of education in, in the French system, I think, is also puts a high priority on, on traditional skills mm -hmm. of writing and proper and handwriting and reading. And so um, you just t all it takes is a look at the handwriting of a kid here in CE2 and compare it to uh, the handwriting of a kid at another school that's yes. not a French school. And there's, there's a difference. So I, I, as, a, as an outsider, as a, an American, I really appreciate that. And you mentioned pen pals before. Yes. Uh, when I was um, uh, teaching in Seudu, uh my students had pen pals, which they mailed actual letters mm -hmm. with stamps to well, uh, the United States. They still States. do. Now. They still do, yeah. They also use the emails, of course, but they still do because they right. are so excited to receive, to get a real right. envelope with stamps and see the real handwriting. And I remember the, uh, the first comment from the, the other teacher the first comment was we've we've received your letters thank you your students have such lovely handwriting <laughs> but uh, that that's always marked me um, so these are things that that stand out um, um, well we've come to uh, one of my favorite segments uh, that I've done every time since uh, since I've begun these podcasts in the beginning of the school year and once again, I do appreciate you coming in the Friday before a, a two-week break. It's not easy to convince people to come in. Uh, it's how we're sure we have dedicated people. We set it up at a time that's not all so convenient. But thank you again for coming in. So what I'd like to know now is um, what song, what song has marked you as uh, you know in your in your development, either from your childhood, your adolescence, or as a teacher, something that is important to you uh, that you think about in teaching. Um, oh, in teaching, um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that I think no, about it just in teaching. Well, but in general, in general, in general uh, well, as I, far as who I, you are, to get to know you, what's <laughs> this? You, you gave me the title of a song, and I yes. was wondering, I want to know about it. So why don't you tell us what, what title oh, I'm talking just, about um, here? A song from the jam called A Town Called Malice. A, a Town Called Malice.
All right, A Town Called Malice. Town Called Malice. And who was the group that sang that? The Jam. The Jam, okay. You know, I'd never heard this song before. Really? This is the first time I've heard it. Oh. So thank you for bringing it to my attention. Okay. What made you choose this song? I love it, by the way. It's. I, I love this, this song because it's punchy. Yeah. And why did I choose it? Because it's. Um, it reminds me of Britain. Okay. And I studied in Liverpool. Oh, you did? Okay. And, uh, well, yeah, I majored in British history and literature. Oh, okay. And, uh, well, Liverpool is maybe not the right place to study British history and literature. Well, it's a good place to study the Beatles. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and because it's one of the songs that you would find in Billy Elliot. Yes, yes, I did read about that, and I looked it up on Wikipedia. It was a And I love Billy, the movie Billy Elliot, okay. so I chose it. It's the story of a small boy living in northern Britain oh, sorry, during yes. the minor strikes oh, in the 1980s right. in well northern Britain, and right. he wants to be a, um, a ballet dancer. A ballet dancer. So it's right. really um, opposed. Is really opposing his family, and oh. I like this movie because oh, you yeah. just. I think that you just have to push you, your patient and think outside the box. Yeah, and, so and that be yourself. Song, really. Yeah, that's it. That song to me is all this just being punchy, having fun, think outside the box and just be yourself. Oh, wow. That's a great choice. And Britain, of course. And Britain. Oh, wonderful. So you, you study British literature and, and history. history. Mm -hmm. Wow. 19th century, to be precise. 19th century history. I've been thinking of songs for me that have been, um, you know, mm -hmm. influential or things that I found interesting. And I've already talked about quite a few of them, but today I couldn't help uh, sharing with you this song from 1975 and it's a, a band called 94 East. 94 East is a funk band from Minneapolis from the, from the early 70s and um, I really this isn't a song that I've heard that I've listened to a long time but it, it, the Minnesota connection coming and you talking to me today uh, and it features Prince. This is one of the first uh, recordings of Prince. So. Definitely can hear the Prince, uh, yeah. the Prince riff in the background. He's playing the guitar and the bass, and the song is "If You'll Be My Teacher" or "You Can Be My Teacher." You can oh. be my teacher. Uh, I wasn't that familiar with this song until recently, but you know, I figured we have a, a Minnesota file coming in. Definitely. Have to have to talk to you about it. Well, we've talked about quite a few things today. We've talked about your background, where you came from, uh, your experience stumbling into the profession, becoming a, a director being an advisor, working for another country's government to get education uh, set up and running. And uh, it's really fascinating. I'm, I really thank you for coming in and sharing uh, with us. Is there anything we missed? Anything that we, we didn't talk enough about that just springs to mind? Not that I can think of. All right, well, if anything, uh, <laughs> if anything pops up in your mind, we will have you back again. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. As uh, maybe you can hear in the background, the bell is ringing, which means the time has come for us to say goodbye. Thank you, Juliet, and thank you to those of you out there listening to us for um, for contributing to Parkour Ed. Uh, if you have any questions or you have any things you'd like to talk about in the f have us talk about in the future, uh, your feedback as a listener means a lot to us. Um, so 
send me an email at Colin Daly, I'm sorry, cdaily at lfs.edu.sg, c-d-a-i-l-e-y at lfs.edu.sg. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider sharing it with someone. My name is Colin Daly, and this has been Parkour Ed. Until next time, bye now. Bye now.